Welcome to New Mommy at 40, a honest, informative, and non-judgmental podcast for those navigating to and through parenthood in their 40s. All right, folks, it's Black History Month, as we all know, and it's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. For this episode, I want to bring you two episodes, which I think are the ultimate example of love on such a fitting day. The love of a mother and a child. And being that it's Black History Month, I wanted to bring you two stories that give you an inside look to the state of Black maternal health in this country. The stories of two moms who had to fight for their lives and the lives of their babies. The CDC has found that 700 women die from complications related to pregnancy or childbirth every year. However, black women fare the worst, dying two and a half times more often than white or Hispanic women. And that's why this is so important to me. So we're going to bring you two episodes back to back today. The first episode... I'll introduce you to Deneen Sacconi, a friend of mine from the University of Miami who endured 20 years of fertility issues. Deneen and her supportive husband welcomed two beautiful babies in two years. As a senior policy director in healthcare, she shockingly found herself in the company of others, especially those of color, who find themselves caring for a new life while advocating to save their own. And now I bring you Deneen's story. We both went to University of Miami Shout out right. to the Canes, the U. All about the U. The U. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I don't keep in touch with a lot of people from the University of Miami, but I'm happy that we have always been on Facebook. So I've been able to kind of peep in. And so I saw baby one and I was like, oh my God, he's so adorable. Yes. And then I saw baby two and I was like, wait, I, is that the same baby that I saw? No. <laughs> no. No, ma'am. No, but you had them pretty close together, right? I had two technically in 11 months and like 360 days. So they're not even 12 months apart. Wow. Yeah, I just remember. Wow, I was right. (laughs) I just remember seeing and I was like, oh, this is so great. I'm so happy for her. And then it was, oh, there's another person that I know having kids in their 40s. Some I know it's by choice, but for you, this was a long journey to motherhood, right? Yes, it was. This was not by choice. I was diagnosed with endometriosis when I was in my early 20s. And I don't know if people are familiar with that, but that is one of the leading causes of infertility in women. Mm -hmm. And so me getting pregnant was just not happening. Now, and, I have um, to say, like, you're one of the first people that I know that have that told me that they've been diagnosed that early. So what led to that diagnosis? How did you even know to, did you ask or how did they find it? How did you know? So interesting you say that. So when I was, it's so weird how God gives you intuition. Mm-hmm. When I was 15, I just felt like something was wrong with my menstrual cycles. Mm. Something just didn't seem right. And they could be really painful, but I didn't know who to compare it to. I just knew it didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And so when I was in my early 20s, I saw the gynecologist and I was explaining, I have these really painful periods and I have like really bad cramps and it, you know, it just really hurts a lot. And then the doctor said, you know, 
I'd like to perform a laparoscopy. You know, just because what you're telling me, it sounds like there's something going on there. Mm-hmm. And in performing the laparoscopy, which is, you know, an outpatient procedure, the doctor confirmed you have endometriosis. And Good he said for you. In that, yeah, I, I just, you know, that intuition. And he said, and that can, you know, be a barrier to conceiving naturally, not impossible, but it can be a barrier. So I knew I had it. And what they suggest is that a woman that you take birth control pills Mm -hmm. because birth control pills regulate your cycle and it really minimizes the discomfort and the pain you get from endometriosis because when you have endometriosis not all of your lining is exiting your body Mm -hmm. as you menstruate some of it stays and that's what causes like the scarring and so they say that they found that birth control pills help with the pain and with that scarring that can happen. Right. You know, you know, so I was on birth control pills for 10 plus years. Wow. And how old were you when you were diagnosed? Oh, let's see. I want to say was I was probably 24, 25. Wow. When I was diagnosed. So were you thinking of kids at the time of possibly having them? Um, And going into motherhood at some point in your life to the point where that affected who you dated and how you dated? Um, I knew I always wanted to have kids to answer your question. So ever since I was like a a kid, I I would tell my mom, I'm going to have four kids. And one of them I was going to name Victoria because I was going to have four girls. It's a beautiful name. I compl- and she laughed. She <laughs> said, wait till you have your first. And we'll, <laughs> then we'll talk. But of course, it impacted me. And I thought, what guy is going to want a woman who has a condition that can make it impossible, if not difficult, for her mm. to conceive? So, yes, that was a concern of mine. Absolutely. Yeah, the reason I ask is I've had conversations with women since starting this podcast about them being diagnosed with an issue like this, either endometriosis or PCOS or fibroids, but their diagnoses were so late, like in their mid thirties when they're almost at that geriatric stage anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But so it even, so if you felt that at that point when you were diagnosed, it's even double for those finding out at that point, because they're like, oh, and I'm running out of time. And right. I have to figure out how to bring this up in my my dating. Like, I'd like to try st- starting, I'd like to start trying earlier than some others, you know what I mean? So I was yes. wondering how that impacted you. And so you have this diagnosis, and then how long did it take before you met the love of your life that you're with now to even start having you know, kids, you know, how did you, how did that happen? So let's think. So I find out when I'm 25. Right. And I met my husband in 2014. So I was about, I guess, 37. Yeah. Or had just turned 38 when I met him. And my husband's younger than me. He's five years younger than me. So at this point in my life, I was thinking, I only want to date guys older who have kids so that I won't disappoint them mm-hmm. if they want to have children to answer your question mm-hmm. about how that impacted me that was really how I felt so when I met my husband Olu hey Olu. when he told hey baby <laughs> so when he told 
<laughs> you have to so give him he, a shout out. I mean, yeah, of course. Olu, that's my baby. <laughs> so when we met and he told me he was 30, he was 35 at the time, I believe. In my head, I thought rats. I, I did. I thought, crap, he's going to want kids. Dang. Right. Right. That's that's how I, I felt. But I really liked him and he really liked me and we got along so well that we continued dating. Our relationship grew and, you know, we got married in 2017 and he knew I shared with him, you know, I have this endometriosis diagnosis. I don't know if I can. And he was so loving and understanding. He said, you know, but Denise, if you want to have kids and I want to have kids, he's it's worth a conversation with your gynecologist. Just talk. Yeah. Try. And if it doesn't work, at least we know we tried. But to know we want to have kids and mm-hmm. to never try... That's a regret I don't want us to have. Ooh, you met a you met a good one. You met a good one. That is so supportive of him. It is. And I took his advice, made an appointment with my gynecologist, got scared and canceled it because <laughs> I didn't want to hear the news. Right. Rescheduled it and went and she was very supportive. She says, "Listen, you're 30, you know, 38, 39 years old. Hurry up." Because <laughs> of your endometriosis, I suggest you consider, you know, in vitro fertilization, meet with a fertility expert because time is of the essence. Right. And that's kind of how we got rolling with this. You know, when she gave me the green light and was like, I know your history and I don't think it's impossible for you. That gave me hope. And we decided, well, let's explore um, and, you know, in vitro fertilization. Let's find a, a fertility clinic that we can trust and go to. When I did find the the clinic I think I was close to 40 at this point they were like we're not even going to try artificial insemination because of your age and because of the history of endometriosis we're just going straight to IVF and so I had the meds Mm -hmm. we were ready to go they were just waiting for my cycle Mm -hmm. and the cycle didn't come but I was like no I can't be I can't be took a test I was pregnant and so I was thinking to my husband this is great oh my gosh we were about to start IVF and I just naturally got pregnant this is so awesome right right so I tell the the clinic and they were like okay why don't you come in we'll do an ultrasound we go in and do the ultrasound we're super excited and I knew something was wrong because the doctor said when was your last menstrual cycle and I told him the date and he said, well, it should have been farther along in its development. You know, he was like, I see a stem, but I'm not really seeing a placenta. Long story short, I ended up losing that pregnancy at about six weeks. I'm sorry, Deneen. Thank you. So that devastated me. And my husband was extremely supportive because we found out my 40th birthday weekend is when I lost that pregnancy. And I'll never forget, my husband said, it's going to happen. You're, we're going to get pregnant. And when it happens, you're going to see it's going to be on an important date. Because the fact that this has happened here, he said, I just know when it does happen, it's going to be an important date. And I couldn't see it at the time. But yeah, he was a little prophetic in what he said. <laughs> so anyway, we decided 
or I decided my body needed a break. Mm -hmm. And I held off doing IVF for almost a year after that because I just felt like I needed to heal. Yeah, and I loved the fact that you took that time to just do some yoga, you did acupuncture, you just really spent time with you. Tell tell me about that part. Yeah, so of course, I had to grieve. I have to mourn. Like, I just, I believe firmly in not masking those hard feelings. Like, I felt like you have to feel to heal. So I took the time I needed, you know, to mourn that loss. And I just decided, you know, God, you know how much I've always wanted to be a mom. I surrender. Like, literally, I was like, I surrender all to you. I was sitting on my couch. I broke down into tears. And I started listening to the song, I Surrender All. I love that You know, there are various artists Mm -hmm. who sing it. But that was my song. And the fertility clinic I went to, even though I wasn't ready to start the treatment, they offered yoga and acupuncture. And I thought, I want to get my body and my mind in the best place I can be to do this. Because my thought was, I want to give it my all, right? No matter the outcome, at least I know I gave it my all. So I contacted the fertility clinic, their wellness center, and said, I'd like to do yoga. And it met every Wednesdays. And it was really a support group for women who were in that circle. Mm -hmm. And just being able to share and seeing you're not alone. My first yoga session, I came out of there feeling so great. I came home energized like, I can do this. It's going to happen. And then when I read how acupuncture can kind of help kind of like with the synergy of your body and aligning your body and the hormones. I thought I'm, I'm going to do that too, because what do I have to lose? Yeah. And so I found an acupuncturist in the community and I would go to her three times a week. And she started to incorporate Chinese herbs to kind of help prepare my body. And I will say, I noticed Incorporating the yoga relieved the stress. Yes. Right? Having that journaling, I would journal. And just having that support group of other women that were doing it with me. And seeing women in my yoga class who were falling pregnant, that gave me hope. And that's what I needed to see. Right? Like, if they can, I can too. Why not me? Right. And then the acupuncturist helping me get my body aligned and give me the the meds or the Chinese herbs, I will say I saw an improvement and how my body was functioning and how I felt that I felt comfortable with, you know, incorporating both of those approaches. And I did it for a good year. I incorporated both in my life for at least a year, faithfully. Wow. But you have to give yourself credit too. I mean, I'm sure both of those aspects contributed to you de-stressing and being open to what you were about to receive with this baby. But, you know, also for you to be determined to get through that moment, not past, to get with, you know, to move with that moment of losing that baby. The fact that you were able to say, you know, I need to grieve this. I'm not going to just push this under the rug and diminish this moment as 
okay, it happened. I'm going to just try again. You really took that time to to really feel all your feelings about mm -hmm. that. And then you give yourself credit for the fact that you said, okay, now I've got to, I've got to take care of myself because with yes. or without baby, they, it needs you to be in yes. the optimal position to be mom, to be in your skin, all of that. Mm -hmm. So that was beautiful that you took that time. And I Thank hope, you. yeah, and I hope that someone's listening. I mean, because, you know, at the time that I was pregnant and, and lost the twin pregnancy that I had after my daughter, Karee, it was just too much to grieve both things of losing my mom at the same time. Yes. And then the pregnancy. And I basically I chose to be in the moment with losing my mother because it was actually happening in front of me that right. it took some time to find a space to grieve that pregnancy you know to mm -hmm. to grieve it because I was so scared of what if I actually allow myself to feel all of this yeah. at the same time can I handle it that's yes. why hats off to you that thank you you took that time and I'm trying not to get emotional but everyone else has gotten emotional it's at an, some point emotional. on this podcast it's but it is it because it just it really is important to take that time. And I couldn't help but think that the stress that I was feeling around the time that my mom was ill, mm -hmm. I can't mm -hmm. say it contributed directly to the miscarriages, but I'm sure it didn't help. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I do. I do. And, you know, they do say when you're when we're pregnant, keep that stress level down. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it has an impact on the pregnancy, it has an impact on the baby. So if yeah, you were you're the struggling vessel. with that. Yeah, because yeah. you're the vessel. And if the vessel exactly. isn't strong, you know, uh, and in, in its best state, it's really difficult to yes. to handle growing a person. I'm mm -hmm. growing, you know, growing feet, yeah. growing a little person in there. <laughs> yes. I, I, there's growing that, teeth. Growing teeth. I'm growing a person. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So I hats off to you. So. Now, so you go through the IVF process, you, you've prepared yourself mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and it's successful, right? Not the first try. Not the, first the first try, try was though. not. It okay. took me two rounds. So the first attempt, I think anyone who's going through this process or thinking about going through this process, you, you may understand what, I, what I'm saying. So, you know, we had the ovarian stimulation, mm -hmm. right? Got me ready. They said because of my age, I didn't have as many eggs. So for the first round, they got about four. Two fertilized. Think about this. And on day five, one looked like it was turning into a blastocyst, mm -hmm. but it wasn't quite there yet. And the blastocyst, and everyone, just to say, if you yes. haven't gotten to IVF, is basically looks like it could develop into a viable pregnancy. They won't even say viable pregnancy at that point yet because they have Correct. to watch it grow. But Correct. to actually have a blastocyst growing means that you're closer to possibly having a viable embryo, which then can be transferred and and hopefully continue to be a viable pregnancy and a viable delivery. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Right. Thank you so much for explaining. You explained it a lot better than I could have. It's only because I've been uh, doing all these modules. So <laughs> that they so have me the doing. Expert. I, I'm getting there now. But yeah. So so it didn't turn into a blastus until day six. Okay. And I was excited. My yeah. husband and I were like, great. We have a blastocyst. 
And because of my age, I will say, because at this time I was 41, Mm -hmm. they said we want to do pre-implantation genetic testing. And so that's where they test the embryo. Take a little bit, right, of the embryo. Mm -hmm. Take a little bit of the tissue. And they take it to a lab and test it to make sure it's chromosome normal. 23 from the mom, 23 for the dad. No deletions on the chromosomes. It's 46. Mm -hmm. And it turned out after our two-week wait of those results, unfortunately, that that one blastocyst we had, it wasn't chromosome normal. So, of course, we were disappointed. I was devastated. I'll never forget when the doctor called to break the news. But she said, Deneen, if you're up for it, let's try again. And I said, yes, I am up for it. Let's try again. And what she did say was, she said, you know, the first cycle, it's not always going to be successful because with the first cycle, we're still learning your body. Mm. So the treatment regimen we give you is pretty standard. But now that we've gone through this first cycle, I have a better understanding of how your body responds. So she tweaked my regimen, I guess you could say, for lack of a better word. And the second cycle, we ended up having... I think it was about the same. I think it was six eggs. Four became blastocysts by day five. We did the pre-implantation genetic testing again. Two came back chromosome normal. And I said, this is great. I'm I'm still doing this yoga with Mm -hmm. this group. And it's interesting. You know how God works. I'm telling you. People call them coincidences. I call them God winks. Because here I am. Yeah, yeah God winks. Yeah. God winks. I call them God winks because I'm in this yoga class, right? Doing this yoga every night. Women were sharing our stories. And this one woman said, I'm just sitting there. And this one woman who was a little older than me, she was maybe 43 at the time. She said to the group, I'm going to do endometrial biopsies because I keep having unsuccessful embryo transfers. And I thought, hmm, what's that? I'm, I'm curious, what is that? So I sent a message to the nurse at the fertility center and said, I'd like to talk to my doctor about endometrial biopsy. My husband and I scheduled the call and she said, you know, Deneen, I was actually going back and forth with whether or not we should do that. And she explained what this is. It's a procedure, women, if you decide to go this route. And again, because of my age, she said, because of your age and because you only have two viable blastocysts, I highly recommend it. They take a, a biopsy of your endometrial lining mm-hmm. and they test it to see when is the optimal day to do an embryo transfer. Mm. And I'm so glad I did it because they got the results back and the nurse called me and said, it turns out, Deneen, you need one more day of progesterone shots wow. before the embryo transfer. What and a they discovery. Said, We're so glad. Yes. Yes, I'm telling you, I attribute that to God, me sitting in that yoga class, just listening and that woman saying it and me just saying, hmm, I wonder what that is. Let me talk to my doctor. And I'm so glad I did that because she said, it turns out you need one more day of progesterone. And what that means is, I guess, statistically speaking, if we had done day 14 embryo transfer, it may not be successful because I needed one more day of progesterone. Mm-hmm. And so they factor that into my treatment plan. 
when we decided to move forward with the embryo transfer. Wow. But I, I have to say, I'm thinking as you're saying this, I'm like, why was that not mentioned in the first place? Yep. Why is that something that you had to overhear? I mean, exactly. in terms of a God wink, you were meant mm-hmm. to hear it there. But I'm wondering how many people are listening to this and going, that's never been mentioned to me. Exactly. Because I have never heard of to that. Me. Never mentioned to me. And the fact that this doctor... Now, she's overall a wonderful doctor because I've had experiences with others in her practice that were not. But the fact that she said, I actually thought about that. She thought about it, but didn't, but didn't tell think you. to tell me, you know, so that it's. We'll get to that. I, I mean, yes. I, I mean, because part of this discussion, why we're having it is being Black History Month as well. Mm-hmm. Black maternal health. And also, unfortunately, black maternal mortality rates are so high. Mm-hmm. And, and, there's, and I'm, I can't attribute it, obviously, directly to this fact. But in the overall conversation of when, it, when you speak to women of color in this country that are going through uh, pregnancy and or postpartum, there are all these issues that come up that we have to work really hard to get people to hear us when we're saying, I don't feel well, I don't think this is normal. Can we try something else? For some reason, it doesn't always work out in our favor. And we'll talk about how for you, again, because what, what I'm hearing is your intuition and your faith mm-hmm. have led you to this road of motherhood and even in, in health for you to be sitting here and talking to me because I know that part of your story too mm-hmm. of what you faced postpartum wise, which right. we'll explain. But it, it is something that kind of baffles me that, you had the, a professional who knew your history, who had your your file in front of them, but did not, but and thought about this and still did not mention it to you. That yes. that that blows my mind. So yes. so your doctor now is empowered to go with her gut of what she had, what she mm-hmm. was thinking of telling you about, mm-hmm. and you and you do it. So that. I, it sounds like it helped in in actually having a viable pregnancy this time from this round. Yes, absolutely. Wow. So we had, yeah, so because of that, yeah, information, mm-hmm. like I said, my treatment plan, my embryo transfer wasn't day 14, right? Because I needed that extra day of progesterone. Um, but it was scheduled which I think is beautiful and kind of prophetic to what my husband said, my embryo transfer was scheduled for December 14th, 2018. And the reason why that date is so important is because I lost my mom, rest in peace, Paula Grooms, Mm -hmm. to breast cancer December 14th, 1998. Yes, that's why I'm... God, that's why I'm, that is what I'm trying to say. Faith. He, he speaks, he shows you, he reveals. 
And so when my husband and I saw that piece of paper say December 14th was our embryo transfer date, he looked at me and said, oh, what's happening? We're having a baby. <laughs> that He said, wow. oh, what's happening? We're having a baby. And we transferred the embryo on December 14th. I did my acupuncture because this fertility clinic allowed pre-implantation and post. So I was... I was in that fertility clinic for a while because I was really in the acupuncture game. Mm -hmm. And two weeks later, I went in for my blood test. They called me and said, congratulations, you're pregnant. And uh, that's the the story of how uh, we had our Iodeji. Oh. Or the beginning of his story. And that's his name, right? Yes, his name is Ayodeji. It's Yoruba. My husband's family's from Nigeria, and it means double joy. Oh, I love it. Because that's what he represents to us. And how old is he now? He is two and a half years old now, acting just like a two and a half year old. (laughs) Yeah, you and I are both in it. She's not two and a half yet, but she's been giving me those two. I'm in those two vibes since she was about. 18, 19 months, I could see it coming. And I was like, oh, just little, little pieces. But yeah, he gives it to us when it comes to, oh my gosh, feeding time. Oh, that's, he fights, you know, he, he doesn't want to eat, you know, the day before he ate it wonderfully. Yeah. And then today, for some reason, he doesn't want to eat. And it's just, you know, because he's like, I'm double joy. I can do whatever I want. My name is (laughs) basically, basically, he's like, please. I know I know how bad you wanted me. Let me let right, me. <laughs> right. I'll I, eat I when know, I want. Exactly, exactly. I did. And this ain't this isn't it. I'm not eating it oh. this time. But I'll come back and eat it tomorrow. But yeah. So that's that's what happened, and that's how I ended up um, getting pregnant. I'm so with, happy uh, for you guys. I, I call him our miracle baby. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk about afterwards. So you had had throughout your pregnancy with him, you had some blood pressure issues, right? Yes. Um, you were taking medication. Yes. Right. During the pregnancy to keep the Correct. blood pressure down. Correct. You give birth to your beautiful miracle baby boy. You go home. And what did you notice? How did you feel? How did you notice that something isn't quite right right here? So to answer your question, just to back up a little bit. So I was taking blood pressure medicine throughout my pregnancy. You're absolutely right. And what happened is once I had IODG, I had him via C-section because I also had placenta previa, which I, I don't wish on anyone. The doctors determined that my blood pressure was dropping too low. And so when I was in the hospital, they decided to take me off of the blood pressure medication because they're saying now it's too low. And then when it came time for me to go home, they said, we're not, your blood pressure looks good. So we took you off. I'm like, okay, great. I go home. That's Friday. Saturday, I noticed that my left foot is swollen and I mentioned it to my husband and I said, something's not right. And then he said, you know what? Put your feet up. Maybe it's just, you know, some water retention, some fluid. And let's see how you feel in the morning. So Sunday comes. My left foot is still swollen. Intuitively, I start taking my blood pressure medicine again. But I don't feel right. 
something just feels off. I ended up calling the OBGYN on call and she said, why don't you get a blood pressure monitor and take your pressure? My husband goes out, gets it. Two days after I've been home, I take my blood pressure. It's reading at 187 over like 100. I immediately jump up and I tell my husband, you have to watch the baby. I have to go to the hospital. Now I'm nervous, right? So by the time I get to the hospital, my blood pressure shot to 213 over 178. So they immediately take me into the labor and delivery unit and they give me medication immediately and they bring my blood pressure back down. And I ended up being in the hospital for maybe three days until they got my blood pressure back under control. And you know what's interesting, Victoria? Mm. A black nurse, you know, she came in and checked on me and I told her my story just like you. You know, I was on blood pressure medicine, but they said it looks so good. They took me off, but my pressure went up and I'm back in here. And she said, but they should have known when a woman has a cesarean section Mm -hmm. and they give a woman certain type of medication, it automatically, artificially lowers your blood pressure. She said they should have known not to have trusted what they saw because evidence shows that in that case, it's not a reliable indicator that a woman's blood pressure is down. She said, so she said, ma'am, they should have never taken you off in the first place. Wow. I mean, I would think so. I mean, if you've had it, you know, even though it wasn't maybe the whole entire nine months, but for a long period of time, you've been taking medication to control this blood pressure to think that instantly this baby's here and the blood pressure's low to stop taking it. I would probably think take it just in case for a couple of days to see until it, you know, go, it normalizes again postpartum before just yanking someone off of blood pressure medication. You know yeah, what I mean? So I ended up, I'm sorry, I, I, I just want to clarify like what that is. So I ended up being diagnosed with postpartum pre, pre-eclampsia. That's postpartum what it's called. Postpartum pre-eclampsia. Yes. Okay. Because I didn't have pre-eclampsia during my pregnancy. I was never diagnosed to your point and it could be because my medication was controlling it. Um, but subsequent to having my son and going home, I developed preeclampsia, which is very dangerous. It can be very dangerous and scary. So your pressure normalizes again, the swelling goes down. Yes. So what happens, it ended up, they put you on a magnesium drip for 24 hours and it's not fun. And the magnesium essentially prevents you from having seizures because preeclampsia is basically, it's preeclamptic. And if you go into eclampsia, you can have seizures and the mother can die. So they give you like, they flood your body with magnesium so that you don't have seizures. But for 24 hours, you can't do anything. You're just in the bed and you feel like, you feel groggy and you feel like crap. So once they gave me that magnesium drip, it helped bring my pressure down they incorporated the blood pressure meds back into my regimen. And then I was able to go home in a few days and stay on the blood pressure medication. I see. Wow. And then, so you're home now. Mm -hmm. So you're reunited with Ayodeji and your husband. And then y'all must have been really excited because (laughs) (laughs) 
because um, five months later? Not even. My son was four months old. Four months old and then bada bing, bada boom. Yes. You're pregnant again. Yes. And this time naturally. Yes. And that was the crazy part. I looked at my husband like this can't be because I... It's me. Like, I was told the chances are, like, non-existent. Wow. But we were. Wow. And, yeah, I was, I became pregnant naturally when my son was four months old. Deneen. That is amazing. And I'm, and the other part of me is like, oh, my goodness. Were you scared? I was. I was scared because I thought my son is only four months like he's still so little and still needs so much of me and I found out in December 2019 when did COVID hit guys oh when did we start hearing about COVID January January 2020 2020? yeah so just think I'm early pregnant and then we start hearing about this COVID-19 so I'm like holy crap I have a four-month-old I'm newly pregnant and there's this scary new virus out there. Yeah. So I was dealing with all that. So I was afraid for many reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm with you because, you know, my baby's a 2020 baby. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I that I can't even imagine. So you get this baby. Your little girl. OK. Her name is also Yoruba. It's yeah. Yeji Day. Yeji Day. And Yeji Day means return of the mother. OK. And we named her in honor of my mom, Paula, who passed away. Oh, so you... And she is a mini, a mini me, and I can definitely see parts of my mom in her as well. Oh, how was that pregnancy? That pregnancy went well until I hit 23 weeks. I just noticed my heart started beating like out of my chest rapidly. I went to see my doctor, OBGYN. He sent me to my primary care doc for an EKG. And my blood pressure, once again... She was like, your blood pressure is really high. I think you should go to labor and delivery. And I ended up spending mother, my very first Mother's Day weekend in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And that's when I found out that I had preeclampsia again with my daughter. And so I was already on blood pressure medicine. But they said, we have to increase your dosage because what you're currently on isn't working. And so from weeks 23 up until I had her... I was taking blood pressure medicine. I was checking my blood pressure twice a day. And I was seeing my OBGYN once or twice. It was like twice a month Mm -hmm. because I was considered um, high risk. Yeah, I think anyone at 30, I think it's 35 and up have these back to back appointments towards the end where you're there, like their family. No, (laughs) I was so comfortable. Yeah. So comfortable seeing my OBGYN. Oh my gosh, I would that was like my outing. Yeah. It was COVID in the beginning. Who was going anywhere? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was how but, I socialized. Yeah, for those of you who are, you know, 35 and up uh, and up, be prepared to you spend a lot of time at this office. They you make sure you like them because yes. you will be there quite often towards the like the last 2-3 months. If you have no issues last two or three months, and if you do have issues even earlier, you'll be there quite quite a few times yes. during the week. Oh, absolutely. So you, I... Well, the reason why I mention that is, again, mm-hmm. right, they know your history. 
Yes. You've been going there. You're, yes. They're like family. This is your second pregnancy. You've been there. They know your history. Your history. So you deliver your baby girl. Yes. And then? I deliver my beautiful baby girl at 36 weeks, five days. And I'm in there now. I know my history. I know I have preeclampsia. And I'm telling them, um, make sure you give me all my medication. Don't <laughs> take away any. And I even told them, and don't trust what that blood pressure monitor says, because I have a history of preeclampsia. Continue to give me both of my dosages. And then one night I was in there and my left foot, it's that left side, it started to feel tight. And my legs started to feel tight. I called for the nurse and I told her something doesn't feel right. She took my blood pressure. It was 170 over something. And I said are you guys giving me both of my medications? And she said, what other medication? We only have one in your notes. I said, that's impossible because since I've been in here, I've told every doctor and nurse who comes into this room, I'm on two types of medications. Don't take one away and don't trust what my blood pressure monitor says because it can creep up again. Call the doctor in, check my pressure again. Now it's at 180 and climbing. So they administer the second dose and then my blood pressure goes back down. At this point, I'm angry. Absolutely. And I was livid because I said, I told you on purpose when I got here, my history, to avoid this. And here I am experiencing it again. You completely ignored me, didn't even include in my chart that I told you I need both. And don't trust what the blood pressure monitor says. I mean, how lucky is it that you were able to check on this? Because what yes. could have happened is you could have gone and you could have had a seizure. Mm -hmm. You don't know how long it's been. I mean, you had an idea of how long it's been now that they didn't give you the second medication. But what if you were in a state that you could not speak for yourself? Exactly. It, was, it would have been too late to, to yes. correct. So the fact that you were able to speak on your behalf and say, I think something is wrong here. That is why you're even sitting here talking to me right now. Yes. Yes. I never thought of, you know what, Victoria, I never even thought of it that way. Yeah. That, you know, yeah, me, me advocating for myself and just making that one statement could have changed the whole trajectory of how things could have been. Absolutely. Be I mean, also think about, You, it just so happened that your your delivery went well enough for you to you weren't in a state of you were in a coma. You didn't have, no. you know, any external bleeding or internal bleeding, no. I should say. You, didn't have, you mean everything went, quote unquote, well enough for you to be able to tell them, wait a minute, something is wrong. Or even mm -hmm. to tell them, hey, letting you know two medications, don't forget to give them to me. Think about all the women who have who are not able to say that for themselves. I know. And it was too late to find out. And yes. they're not here to tell their story. I know. I'm just thankful that you were able to advocate for yourself. Yes. Well, you know, my background, I work in health policy, right? So, right. So I'm not new to this. Like, none of this is a surprise to me. I work in the health policy space. I know about the black maternal mortality 
rates, right? And the morbidity rates. I know about that. I know how to advocate for myself. I know what the words are. I know the terminology. I know the jargon. And still, still, when I delivered my daughter, my orders were ignored because I feel like they thought they knew better than me. Right. And you don't. Right. You can never know better than the patient. You had, you had the knowledge to say, I'm going to advocate for myself. This is what I'm going to do. And this is what I need. And it's for, I'm sure there must've been a shock of like, I can't, but this, I can't believe this is happening to me. Oh, it was, I was, it was incredulous. I was like, are you serious? I'm here again. I literally was like, I told you guys everything so that I would not experience what I experienced with my son. And yet here I am again through no fault of my own. Mm. You did everything I told you not to do. Wow. And you put my health at extreme risk. Yeah. So I, what I didn't share was after I had my daughter, I was readmitted twice for preeclampsia. My blood pressure spiked um, twice um, after I had her. And my dad came by the house to help my husband with the kids. My brother came by the house to help my husband with the kids. My sister-in-law, God bless her, who lives in North Carolina, drove up Hmm. to help her baby brother with her niece and nephew. My close girlfriends from the area, Malika, Jennifer, and Keisha, came over to the house to help my husband. My best friend, Tanya, who lives in Brooklyn, drove down with her family um, to help us get the house set up before the kids came. So you can't do it without a support circle. You're not meant to do this alone. When they say it takes a village, it's true. You're not meant to be in this alone. It's not meant to be just you and your husband. It's not because it can't. Yeah. Lean on those people who are there for you. Lean on that support circle because you need it to get through. And I don't wish my complications or outcomes on anyone but if god forbid you do you you need your family and friends to rally around um and kind of step in while you get your health back yes let them help you let them help you tell me how for you being a mother in your 40s shapes or how it impacts your motherhood journey you know so i think because of my journey and how I had to really fight to have these babies. I look at them as blessings and they're both my little miracles. Um, I say that because motherhood, I don't know how else to explain it other than it's the hardest job I've ever had in my life, but it's the biggest love I've ever had in my life. You know, it's the most work, but it's the most love I've ever felt. And I think that's the way I explain motherhood. It's, hard but the love you have you never knew you could you could have Mm -hmm. and I think when you're in your 40s versus if maybe for me speaking for myself I was in my 20s I appreciate motherhood more I'm more patient right and I have the time 
to spend with my children. I don't feel like I'm missing out versus if I was in my 20s mm-hmm. and my girlfriends were still, you know, traveling or just, you know, socializing. I don't feel like I'm missing out on that. So I'm able to be fully present and really enjoy being a mom. Now, it's to be completely honest, there are times, there are parts of motherhood that aren't all roses. It's difficult, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm exhausted. You know what I mean? You, you're tired, especially when they're really young because they require so much of you physically mm-hmm. and mentally that you're tired and you learn to live with that. But it's it's an adjustment that I think me being older helped me to be ready for. Mm-hmm. And that's just one thing I say. It's, it's a very serious. Um, I don't call it a job, but I feel that if God blessed me with these two children, his children, to take care of them, I, I take that responsibility, my husband and I, very seriously. What do you love about being a mom? Oh, I love the cuddles. I do. You know, they are the sweetest when they come up to you and just like hug you and kiss you. Um, it's the best feeling ever. Or the first time you hear your child call you mama, mm-hmm. it's just so sweet. And it just, it just melts your heart. So I just, I just love, you know, I, I know I'm at the beginning of parenthood, right? They're going to become teenagers mm-hmm. and I'm probably going to like get out my face. <laughs> but right now I just love them and just seeing them grow. That's really what I love. Like we had this blastocyst with Iodeji mm-hmm. and to see him go from starting off as that blastocyst to a two and a half year old boy who's now talking who's now telling us what he wants, what he doesn't want, who has his own personality. It's just great. It just warms your heart. Yeah. And the same with my daughter, to see her little personality come out. And baby girl has a personality, you know? <laughs> She's a trick. Where did she get that from? I wonder. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, she does her little dance moves like this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I love. Just seeing them grow and just hugging them and kissing them and hearing them say your name when your son well for my son first time he said i love you mommy (gasps) that was awesome unsolicited unprovoked he just said i love you mommy makes it all worth it Uh, yeah once again i'd like to sincerely thank you denine for telling your story and allowing me to share it with people again today i hope this episodes also gives a voice to all the other Deneens out there that have gone through something like this. And whether you're a woman of color or not, I hope this episode empowers you to advocate on your behalf and the behalf of your children. Part two is available now, so please check out Tara Udovic's story, and I hope that it also sheds some light on such a very important subject. Don't forget to follow and subscribe wherever you're listening to this, and of course, follow us at New Mom Yet 40 on social media. And like always, please take care of yourself and each other.